Jonathan Edwards, in his great sermon called A Divine and Supernatural Light, he said this. He said, there's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a, a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. In other words, Edwards is saying that I, I can tell you that honey is sweet. I can describe it to you. If I'm a good wordsmith, I can describe it in a very accurate way. I can make a case for why you should try honey. But until you actually taste the sweetness of honey, the texture of honey, until you actually experience it for yourself, there's nothing that I can convey with mere words that will accurately portray the actual experience of tasting honey. And this is exactly what we are trying to accomplish in this series because our hope is that we wouldn't just learn about relationship with God, that we wouldn't just learn about prayer and communication with God, but we would actually experience and enjoy God personally, that we would actually taste and see that the Lord is good, as David writes in the Psalms, right? We, we want to uh, have an experience of God for ourselves as we work our way through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. Now, last week we concluded by saying that without the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, without our Father, without those two words, there is no hallowed be your name. Without our Father, there is no your kingdom come. Without our Father, there is no daily bread. Without our Father, there is no uh, forgive us our debts. Because our Father in heaven... It, it takes this idea that God is a, a distant, cold, unloving, absent, uninvolved, uncaring being. It takes all of the lies that the devil would have us believe and it flips them on their head because our Father, it communicates a level of access and intimacy and relationship, but our Father in heaven, that word heaven, is translated air. So it's not our Father somewhere out there in some distant foreign place that is inaccessible to us. It's our Father in heaven. In other words, it's our Father always near us. It's our Father all around us. It's our Father right here in the day-to-day -day moments of life. Our Father is a reminder not only of who God is, but our Father in heaven is a reminder of where God is and it's a reminder of who we are as his children, and it's a reminder of who we are to one another, that we are all, whether you like it or not, brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right, so our Father is a reminder of who he is, who we are, and who we are to one another. Now today, we're moving into this next portion of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus teaches his disciples and us to pray this, our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallow is not a word that we typically use uh, very often in modern times, but it essentially means to make something holy, to set it apart. Uh, 
it, it means to, to honor and adore whatever that thing is. Ultimately, hallowing the name of God, ultimately, it's about recognizing the greatness, the majesty, the distinctive nature and character of God. So if you think about it this way, our Father in heaven is a reminder of God's intimacy and accessibility to us. Hallowed be your name is a reminder of God's holiness and his power, his greatness, his majesty, how he is completely other than frail, flawed, faulty human beings, okay? This is all about adoration. Hallowing the name of God is all about honoring and adoring and, and naming the greatness of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, as I say that, you might be thinking, why in the world? And, and maybe you're exploring faith, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to Christianity and you're checking things out. And you hear all that and say, okay, if, if Jesus is teaching us to pray this, why in the world does an all-powerful, completely loving, self-sufficient creator need me, a finite, flawed human being that he created in the first place, to tell him how great he is? Is God really that insecure? Does, like, why does he need these flawed, finite human beings to, to just tell him how wonderful he is and just remind him? And wh why, why does God need this? Well, let me just add to that. If you notice, hallowing the name of God, this is fascinating, hallowing the name of God comes before petitioning God. So hallowed be your name comes before give us this day our daily bread. And it sort of reminds me of something that my kids will do from time to time, and maybe uh, I might have done this with my parents a little bit. But if you, if you really you know, wanted something when you were a kid, and you, you had a plan, right? And, and you go up to your mom or your dad and you, you just go, mom, dad, I just love you so much. I just think you are the best parents I could ever ask for and I can't even take it how much I love you. You're just so wonderful. And, and they, they look at you and what do they say? What do you want? Right, I don't trust you. What are you after? What is, what is happening here? So is this what Jesus is telling us to do with God? Like, is, is Jesus telling us to butter God up before we make some requests? Right, are we trying to trick God into giving us what we want by assuaging his ego? Thankfully, the answer is no. That is absolutely not what's happening here because if that were the case, then this would not be a God worth following. Right, hallowing the name of God is not for God's sake, it's for ours. Hallowing the name of God is not for his benefit, it's for ours. To hallow something, it means to take that something and treat it as ultimate. Like it's your ultimate aim in life. It means to take something and treat it as sacred. To make that thing, whatever it is, your number one priority, your ultimate concern, the center of your life, the supreme beauty in your life. It is your ultimate goal. It is above all, it is beyond comparison to anything else. And Jesus, 
enters the human story in the first century and says, God is your father and he is ultimate. He is to be held in that sacred place in your life. He is to be the sole aim of your life. He alone is the sacred one. He is above everything. He is above all. He alone is worth all of your passion, all of your resource, all of your effort, all of your talent, all of your thoughts, all of your affection, all of your devotion, everything about you. He is worthy of it all. And what this is describing, what Jesus is telling us here, hallowing the name of God, this is all about your worship. It's all about worship. And, and worship not being limited to the singing portion of a Sunday morning service. Okay, that, that is worship, but worship is all of life. It's what you think, it's what you do, it's how you behave, it's how you live, it's what you do with your time, your money, your re everything about life is worship. And there are a whole host of people in the world today that, you know, in response to that, they say, well, Rob, I'm not the kind of person that worships. You know, maybe during the singing portion of a Sunday service, if you're there, you know, you just, I'm the kind of person that just stands there with my hands in my pocket, thinking how weird it is that everybody's collectively singing songs together. But that's not Worship, worship is all of life, that's a piece of it. But worship is what you do, it's what you think, it's what you say, it's how you live, it's what you believe, it's everything about you. And if you say, well, I'm not the type of person that worships, then you don't understand what worship is. Uh, one uh, fairly famous person recently came out and, and said this, I thought it was fascinating, that they're not a believer, but it was very insightful. They essentially said in the Old Testament, where it says that, uh, you shall worship no other gods before me. This person basically says that, you know, essentially what that's saying is that the human species, that we are a species that worships. And if you do not worship, what he says is the divine, if you do not worship God, then you will worship something. You will worship lesser things. You will worship the profane. You will worship your own identity. You will worship your own belongings or possessions. You will worship what is laid before you by a culture that wants to get you distracted and dumb. So you will worship something. In other words, it's very insightful. In other words, they're saying that the world is not divided up into people who worship and people who don't. The world is divided up into people who worship the only one who is worthy of it and those who worship lesser things. Right? And what's interesting is what Jesus tells us, even before he gets to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5, he tells us something incredibly profound. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. They love making a spectacle of themselves. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What Jesus is telling us here is that there is a type of person who more than anything else, they want the praise of people. They want to be recognized by people. 
They want to be esteemed by people. The thing they want most in life is acclaim and recognition. They want to be, they want to be special. They want to be unique. They want to be distinct. They want to be set apart. Therefore, they only pray when they're seen praying. They, they, make, they intentionally make a spectacle of themselves so that they can be exalted by people. Do you realize what Jesus is telling us here? This is amazing. Jesus is saying that these people, there are people like this in our world today, these people are not hallowing the name of God. They are hallowing themselves in the name of God. They are not exalting the name of God by making themselves lesser. They're not decreasing so that he might increase. They are They are decreasing God while increasing themselves. They're using the name of God to exalt themselves, to worship themselves, right? They are exalting themselves in the name of God, right? And Jesus then instructs us to pray in secret. Why? Because there's no no danger of uh, selfish motives, sinful motivations to get in the mix because there's no public recognition for private prayer, Right? And we, and people do this in, uh, in other ways, in different ways, but Jesus is helping us to understand that our motives for praying matter. Does it mean it's wrong to pray in public? Not at all. But if you only ever pray in public, that is an indication that your motives are askew. And, and here, here's just in addition to this, even if you do pray in secret, There is a kind of prayer that happens only when your ultimate concern in life is at stake. Uh, For example, if if you only pray when your life is falling apart, like if you're you're sort of not really into prayer (laughs) all that much, and and then something happens, right? You, you, You don't really enjoy prayer, you're not really motivated to pray, and then all of a sudden, you know, you lose a relationship or somebody breaks up with you or you lose your job or your bank account is depleted or something happens with your reputation and all of a sudden, you become like a prayer expert and you are just praying all the time, right? What that reveals is that you do not hallow the name of God, you hallow that thing that you are most afraid of losing. And you just want God to give you your idol back. And what Jesus wants to teach us is to hallow God, no matter what our circumstances are, hallow him, not our relationships, to hallow him, not our finances, to hallow him, not our career or our reputation or ourselves, to hallow God. And if any of those things are your ultimate concern and they begin to go south and you begin praying like crazy, (laughs) it's an indication that you never really adored God. You were just adoring that thing that you were most afraid of losing. So here's the question. Do you only pray when you're in trouble? Do you only pray when certain things are in in jeopardy or, or when things go badly? See, if the thing that you hallow is not God, then you will only pray when the thing that you truly do hallow is in jeopardy. 
In that way, the consistency of your prayer life is incredibly telling on whether or not you worship God or you worship lesser things. I love the, I'm going to paraphrase, but St. Augustine, he wrote that really what makes you what you are is not so much what you say or what you believe or even how you behave, it's what you love. What you love is what makes you who you are. So if you're a driven workaholic or if you're constantly getting into destructive relationships that you can't seem to get out of or any aspect of, of your life that you look at and go, I don't know how to change this thing, it is because, primarily because, your heart has not yet learned to enjoy God, to hallow him, to receive and reciprocate the love of God. See, this is why it's so important that we learn to enjoy him, that, that we enjoy him and are enjoyed by him, that we give and receive love from him. Right? Because what makes you what you are is not what you think or what you do so much, so much as what you love. And if you love anything else in life more than God, if that thing is ever taken away from you, if you ever lose it, you will be devastated. Why? Because if you love that thing more than God and you lose it, then you've lost everything. If, if it's gone, you're gone. If they leave, you are completely lost. And Jesus tells us to hallow God, not because God needs you to hallow him, not because God needs your adoration, but because your adoration needs God. Your heart needs you to hallow God, to adore God. Everyone on the planet is hallowing something. The only way you will ever find peace and rest and joy and life is if you hallow him. Uh, John Calvin, in uh, his writings uh, called The Institutes, he wrote this, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We all worship uh, I love the way that Rosaria Butterfield says it. She, she adds to it a little bit. She says, one very difficult aspect of sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. My sin feels like life to me, plain and simple. My heart is an idol factory. I love this part. And my mind is an excuse-making factory. <laughs> I, 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 it's amazing how we can justify things that we know are wrong. And we do this like mental gymnastics with ourselves when it comes to our sin. And, and this is exactly why all throughout the Old Testament, I mean, think about when God le led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Think about the miracles that they witnessed. I mean, he's leading them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They get to the base of Mount Sinai, and the first thing they do is they fashion an idol and begin to worship it. And you think, we read that and we think about that and we go, how could they do that? If I were them, I wouldn't do that. Yes, you would. We do this all the time. We hallow money or career or relationships. And here's the deal. These aren't bad things in and of themselves. But as the late Timothy Keller said, worship and idolatry is about taking good things and turning them into ultimate things. 
We take good things like relationships or resources or finances or whatever it is, and, and we elevate them to a position that God never designed them for, and we crush them under the weight of our hopes and burdensome expectations. See, we think, unless I have this thing, whatever that is, I'm nothing. Unless I have that, I'm nobody. Unless I have this, unless I attain that, I'm worthless. But only when you hallow God can you lose everything that this world has to offer and still be somebody because you belong to him. You belong to God. Right? This, this is why as soon as I began enjoying God, like before I even knew Jesus, I was exploring faith. As soon as I began to study the truth of who Jesus is and enjoying him, and falling in love with him, all of my cravings for heroin completely disappeared. Why? Because I discovered a love that I always wanted but never thought possible. And so as soon as my heart began to enjoy God, all the lesser things just lost their power. This is why this is so important that we learn to enjoy him because there's freedom there. There's healing there. Hallowing the name of God allows us to treat everything else in life in proportion to the way that God designed it. To truly enjoy what God created for us to enjoy and the way it was made for us to enjoy without crushing it or sucking the life out of it. Right? This is why this is so important. It's also important to note that, that when we pray, hallowed be your name, it is not only a reminder to our own hearts that our adoration needs God. We are going to adore something. We need to worship God. Our hearts need that. But it's also a, a request that God's name would be revered not just in our own hearts but in the world around us. Hallowed be your name. It's a prayer that the rest of the world would see God for who he really is and hallow him and treat him, honor him, as the only one who is worthy of our worship and adoration. See, praying hallowed be your name is simply praying, God, open people's eyes, including my own, to see you for who you really are, to experience you for who you really are. Because the reality, church, is all of the unrest, all of the division, all of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the confusion in our world, all of the division, all of the hatred and animosity, all of those things, all of the twisting and distorting of our world is the result of people, including us, is the result of us hallowing something other than God. All of it. And as followers of Jesus, if we're hallowing anything other than God, in us, there will be no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things won't exist in us. And we will be overcome in the world that we're living in. We will be overcome with fear, anger, hatred, bitterness, and crippling anxiety about the state of the world. And we will find ourselves looking for solutions other than God who is the only solution for the condition of the human heart and for the condition of the world that we're living in. He is the only solution. 
Do you believe that? Because the reality is, and I, I, I want to challenge us here, because it's easy to say yes in a Sunday morning church service. But do you really believe that God is the solution to everything that ails the human heart and the world that we're living in? Because many Christians in the world today are looking for a political savior. Politics will not save our world. A political leader will not save our world. Will not save our country. Political leaders can implement policies that better align with the kingdom of God, but even then there is so much corruption. And I, I, I think we've played this out so many times I, it's, it still kind of baffles me why we look, look for political saviors. That's what they were doing in the first century with Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come and bring a political revolution. And Jesus says, no, I want to do something way bigger than that. This isn't about a single country. This isn't, this isn't about a single time in human history. This is about all of humanity for all time. God is the solution. Do we believe that, church? I love the way that Lena Abujamra said this. She, she said that contentment, I love this, contentment is not the resignation of the hopeless, but the bold affirmation that my father knows best. See, so many of us were walking around with all this anxiety and worry and anger, and uh, we're carrying all this stuff. When God's invitation to us is to walk with the peace that passes understanding, to live with a level of contentment that doesn't make any sense to the people around us. And contentment, many people would look at Christians walking around with peace and contentment in the world that we're living in, and, and they would look at them and go, well, don't you care about what's happening in the world? Don't you care about what's happening? Well, of course. Of course we care. But I'm not gonna let the devil fill me with fear and anxiety and worry because I know my father, and my father knows best. It's not burying my head in the sand. It's lifting my eyes to heaven. It's setting my mind on things above so that I can be of some earthly value. Not being so earthly minded that I'm not of any heavenly value. See, do we truly hallow God? Do we truly believe that he alone is ultimate, that he alone is the solution. Do you hallow the name of God? Can you say that? Not as some rote religious prayer that you repeat, but as the genuine cry of your heart, that he is holy, that he is beautiful, that everything else in this life pales in comparison to him. And you say, well, Rob, that all sounds great. How do I do that? How do I hallow the name of God? How do I worship God like this? How do I adore him like this? This is the most important piece. The key is what Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your what? Your name. Now, we, today, we use names to differentiate between one person and another, but that's not the way that Jesus would have used this. 
Jesus was saying the name because name represented, someone's name represented their character. It's all of who they are. He, he's, it's, it's not only how you identify with somebody, but it's a full representation of that person's nature, of their character, of who they are, what they're like. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, he's saying, Father, your character, everything about you, your nature, who you are, is holy. Everything about you. You are the beauty that created and encompasses all other beauties in the world. You are the goodness that created and encompasses all other good things in the world. You, you are ultimate, you are the source of all that is right and true and just and good and beautiful and wonderful. God, you are all of it, hallowed be your name. And when you pray, think about this, when you pray in the name of Jesus, anybody think about why we pray in the name of Jesus? Right? It's in the name, in alignment with the character and the nature and the will and the ways of Jesus. So you can pray all kinds of crazy stuff that has nothing to do with the will of God. And if you're just tagging in the name of Jesus on the end of it, this is why, this is why James tells us that, that if we ask and do not receive, it's because we ask amiss. It's because we have wrong motives or we're not praying in alignment with God's character. So in the name of Jesus is an alignment with the character, the will, the ways of God. So if we're going to hallow God, we must know his name. <laughs> if we're going to hallow God, we have to behold who he is, what he's like. We have to think on and meditate on his character. Do you know this is fascinating? God declares his own name, his own character, in Exodus chapter 34. This is, uh, Pastor Dylan shared this with me this week. This is the most, uh, most cross-referenced Bible uh, passage in the Bible. So it's the most quoted Bible verse by the Bible itself, okay? And for good reason, because it's God declaring his own name his own character. And this is what it says, Exodus 34, starting at verse five. It says, the Lord, which again, that's God's personal name. So it's Yahweh. In English, it's translated the Lord, okay? So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. So Yahweh, Yahweh a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, what does God say about his own character? What does he tell his creation about who he is? What is there to adore? Well, let's go through the list. He's full of mercy. Thank God for that. He is full of mercy. He is gracious. He's patient. He's not quick-tempered. He's not impatiently waiting for you and I to get our act together. He's not eagerly waiting to punish us. He's patient. 
He is abounding in steadfast love. I love this. Steadfast love. In the original language, it's the word hesed, which um, the meaning behind, there's so much meaning behind this one word. But it essentially means uh, loving attachment. So the way an infant attaches to a parent by staring into this face, this is, this is what this is describing. Loving attachment, loving relationship. And God, it's saying that God desires loving connection with you of all people, okay? Loving intimacy with you, inviting you into that relationship with him. It says he's faithful. He is unwavering in his love toward you. He is faithful. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Thank God for that. And yet, at the same time, he is a God of justice. He is a God who will make everything right one day. He will right every wrong. His name is Yahweh, and because of everything that Jesus is, and because of everything that Jesus has done, we can not only know about him, but we can enjoy relationship with him. We can enter into loving relationship with him. We can hallow the name of God. See, God invites us to adore him, not because he needs something from us, but he invites us to adore him because it's what our hearts need more than anything else in life. Greg Ogden wrote this. He says, adoration, I love this image, it lifts us out of ourselves to behold the, the wonder and beauty of God. So as we hallow him, as we worship him, we're lifted out of our, our self-centeredness, our self-absorption. We're, we're lifted out of it and we are welcomed into the very life of God. What a privilege. And so as we wrap up today, we're gonna move into a time where we are going to hallow the name of God through prayer and worship. So our worship team is gonna come join us, our prayer team, uh, feel free to, to come and make yourself ready. And as they're doing that, church, I wanna invite everybody to go ahead and stand with me. And I'm gonna read over us, just to kind of lead into this time, I'm gonna read a, a passage out of Psalm 145, which is a psalm of adoration. And, and I, I want you to allow this to, to prime the pump of your heart as we move into a time of worship, of hallowing the name of God. I, I want you to allow this to just kind of prepare your heart for these next few moments. So if you would, go ahead and close your eyes if you feel comfortable. You can put your hands out in front of you, palms up as a posture of receiving from the Lord. I'm, not, I'm gonna read Psalm 145 starting at verse eight for us to the end of the psalm and just allow these words, the, the words of King David, to prepare your heart to hallow him. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord, Yahweh, is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and he is kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Maybe today you've been hallowing something other than God. Maybe you've been chasing something other than God, thinking that that will fill you, that will satisfy. Maybe you recognize in your own heart a need to adore something that is twisting and distorting your life. The invitation of God to you today is to hallow him, to return to him, to worship him, to ascribe ultimate value and worth to him. Maybe today, praying hallowed be your name, maybe you're praying that as a request for someone that you know that they would see God for who he really is. That God would give them a picture of his character, of his goodness, of his nature. Our prayer team is available. We're gonna hallow the name of God today in song and prayer and hallowing the name of God doesn't end when the service is over. Amen? But we're gonna practice what we just talked about. We are gonna bring our whole selves, our needs, our petitions, our desires, and our adoration, our worship, our hallowing, we're gonna bring all of those things to him because he invites us and he's the only one who is worthy of it. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we move into this time of just simply practicing what we just talked about, hallowing your name, treating you as ultimate, as sacred, as the singular ultimate aim of our life, seeing your majesty and your beauty 
and responding in submission and surrender, declaring your greatness and your holiness. God, would you meet us here as we hallow your name, the name of Yahweh, who is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love for thousands. Meet us here now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bring our needs or requests to him. Prayer team is available, and we're gonna worship together.